Yes, we continue our study for fourth week in our Song of Solomon series of message. Today we deal with restoration. What's love got to do with it? Sometimes love seems so far removed from the circumstances that we're in. Uh, whenever you are at a point that you're needing restoration, re- you're needing redemption, you're needing forgiveness, you have a lot of the things that we just prayed about in the one another's that we actually value at Grace Point Church, the one another relationships. We're going to talk about praying those into our lives. Well, we're going to talk about living those out even next weekend, but we're going to have to get to practice them in our own homes and marriages on a regular basis. And so, we have been in this uh, series and now we're at the halfway point. But uh, I know that maybe some of you are just now starting this journey with us. The great thing about it is that the Bible from the beginning to the end will talk about marriage. It starts with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. Think about it like that, all right? Uh, the very beginning of the of, of the Bible, actually it's why I heard one person uh, say it this week, it starts with a blind date and it ends with a wedding reception. So that's the full length of the Bible right there. And But right in the middle of it is you have the Song of Solomon. And the Song of Solomon is the commentary, is the guidebook, is the most comprehensive study on what love, marriage, and sexuality should look like, feel like, behave like inside of the, again, the marriage relationship inside of the home, home life and so forth. And that home life and social order and the very bedrock of our society is the family. And that's, again, one of the things that we really value at Grace Point. We're going to love on your family. We're going to challenge your family. We're going to encourage your family. We're going to also speak truth into your family. Now, here's the thing. We cannot redesign what God has already perfectly designed. If you do, it's going to be subpar at best. It's going to be flawed for sure. It's not going to make it. It's, it, 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 it there's going to be uh, things that will just not align itself. For example, I say again and again that it's love, marriage, and sexuality is what we're talking about in this series. And when you think about it, if you're missing one of those or you have one but you're missing the others, you're, you're already your relationship begins to, to unravel. For example, love. Love without marriage and sexuality, that's great. You might have a great friendship, that's good. You have a friendship and that's what you have. And now there's nothing wrong with friendships. Friendships are where the basis, I think, for all good relationships. Um, the, uh, in fact, I will say this, we have a digital date box that's coming out this week. If you're in a dating relationship or you're not, a digital date box is a free dating opportunity for you, ideas, resources, all that kind of stuff. If you've signed up for that in the very first week, it should be coming in your inbox this week. So be looking for that. And if you haven't, then you can sign up for that as well. But also, there is the sexuality part. Sexuality without love and marriage is prostitution. I hate to be that bold, but it's really what it is. Now you may not exchange money. You're exchanging what I want is I'm going to give up a part of my most intimate private self in hopes of gaining something from you. In hopes of gaining your friendship, in hopes of getting your love. And because of that, I'm going to hopefully give up something of who I am. But I'm going to do it outside the confines of marriage and outside of the confines of love. Then it is nothing short of a form of prostitution. But also marriage without love is a prison. 
It's a prison. If you are, uh, you're like the person who kept watching his marriage, uh, his wedding ceremony in rewind mode. Because he was asked why was he doing it. He says, I was watching myself living in freedom for the last moments of my life. And so if, if you don't, if you're not in a love relationship, if you're not in a healthy sexuality relationship, in a marriage relationship, then it really does feel like a prison. It feels like this is going to be where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. That's not the way God designed it. And again, what have I said from the beginning? If we do anything outside of God's perfect design, then we miss it. God gave us a perfect design in Genesis. And we cannot change from that. We aren't trying to reimagine love. We're not trying to reinvent marriage. We're not trying to redefine marriage. We're not trying to reinvent sexuality. This is God at work in us. But today, we move from the ideal to the real. Okay. The ideal is that I I want to have the man courting me like he does in the Song of Solomon. Or I want the woman who looks so ravishingly beautiful. He's got so many descriptions to describe her beauty. Or I, I want the man who has character and that his character speaks louder than anything else. I want that. And again, we get into the ideal mode and maybe we compare and contrast with what we have, with what we don't have. And, and sometimes we just need to get it down into the the real the reality of what it is that we're looking at the relationship that we are in the relationship that we want to be in if you're single today or the relationship that you're in if you're married you know this already it doesn't take very long to figure this out it's not a utopia it's not perfect it's not it's not flawless it, 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 there is there's all manner of problems but worse than being single and lonely is being married unequally in an unhealthy marriage, not mutually beneficial to one another. And so what is going to be the the, the tension that I'm going to feel here? Am I going to go ahead and enter into this marriage relationship knowing that it's flawed, know that I'm flawed, know that he's or she is flawed? Am I going to enter into it or am I going to just stay out here? Sometimes Paul says it's better to stay out here. And so that may be the option for some. Others may say, no, 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 I'm burning with passion. I know that verse. I'm not, I'm the one burning with passion. I need to, I need to enter into a relationship. Well, don't let passion drive you. All right. Let's have the healthy relationship first, because here's the reality that we need to realize. Marriage, after all, is the union of two sinners, not two angels. We need to realize that. We are both broken. And in our brokenness, we're not going to fix it by putting a ring on it. All right. Putting a ring on it doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it holy and perfect. Doesn't make you holy and perfect. It makes the marriage legitimate. It might make the marriage honorable, but it doesn't fix the problems inside of us. Gary Thomas said it well. He said, if God, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? That's a loaded statement. That's a powerful, densely packaged statement. And I want you to hear that. What if God gave us marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Now, I'm glad to say today, and I want you to save the dates, that Gary Thomas is coming back to Grace Point for the third time. Again, what did I say in the beginning? We're going to love on your family. We're committed to the health of your family and the long-term health of your family. He's coming back in April, so save the date. If you're single, he's going to be doing a seminar just for you, Sacred Search. Getting into this, understanding what it means to look for the right person and be the right 
right person. So if you know a single person, tell them to put April 25th. And then on the April the 26th, he's going to share his brand new book content with us called Cherish. And how we are to cherish one another in our marriage relationship. Gary Thomas is the one who just said, hey, what if God gave us marriage not to make us, or to make us holy more than to make us happy? Now I'll say this. I am happy when I'm holy. Okay? But sometimes when I'm happy first, I'm not always holy. But if I am living a holy, righteous life the way God intended me, I have never been more content, more full of joy than in those moments. And so realize that it's not one or the other, but what if your marriage is to make you holy? That's what the chief aim is. It may be for that. Uh, Timothy, uh, Timothy Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, he said, Marriage used to be a public institution for the common good and now as a private arrangement for the satisfaction of the individuals. Marriage used to be about us and now it's about me. When that shift happened, I can't tell you. But it has certainly happened and the pendulum has swung and now we look at marriage and we look at relationships and we have more me marriages than we have us marriages. And if you don't have an us marriage and you have a me marriage, you are two narcissistic, self-centered individuals that are about to explode on one another. So the sooner we can back out of self, back out of our narcissism, back out of our pride, back out, back out of our gluttony, our lust, our self-serving, the sooner we can back out of that, the sooner we can move back in to the right marriage. And this is what one way I, I would say it. God actually uses marriage to sanctify us, to purge us of the rotten selfishness that pervades us, the hedonism that consumes us, and the pride that destroys us. God actually is going to, if He is instrumental in bringing your marriage together, He's actually going to put that marriage into play so that it can drive out some of the darkness of your own soul. Because here's what happens when you get married. You can no longer hide. Oh, you can hide. You can hide things. You can have all kinds of secrets. But if you are living an outright and full and proper marriage, it, you can't hide. It's going to come out. It's the, you can pull the wool over some people's eyes, but you will not pull over the wool of the person that you're married to. Or they'll be able to call you out on it. So here's the real of the marriage. It's not easy because there is a whole lot of denying myself. I learned how to be a better follower of Christ by being a better husband to Lori. And I learned how to be a better husband to Lori by being a follower of Christ. Because when he calls me to deny myself, when he calls me to take up my cross daily, he calls me to follow him. What if I were to apply that to my relationship with Lori? That I would deny myself that I would take up her burdens and that I would follow her, that I would literally walk in step with her. Now, you're a man supposed to lead the home. Okay, I'm chasing too many rabbits here. Let's just realize that the marriage is broken from the get-go unless we allow the sanctifying work of God into our marriage. Now, take your Bibles and open to the book of Song of Solomon or you have your journal Bibles, you can open that and you're going to chapter 5 today. We ended last week uh, on a very beautiful 
personal pronouns of this wonderful couple coming together and this sanctifying, beautiful matrimony and consummation of their marriage to only go one verse later and there's conflict. Now, how real is that? Lori and I are married for two days and we have our first argument on our honeymoon. And now I know you all did not have an argument on your honeymoon. You all didn't have arguments for the first months. But the reality is, is that you can actually be in this sweet, harmonious relationship in a matter of seconds, everything can change, right? Everything can change on a dime. And all of a sudden you'll go from being in a harmonious relationship to brokenness being lived out. And in this, we're going to see in a matter of five verses, we're going to see conflict. And then we're going to see in the rest of chapter 5 and most of chapter 7, we're going to see resolution or we're going to see them coming back together. But isn't that such a true picture? When you think about it, the conflict actually only takes this long. It takes one bad statement, one arrogant statement, one selfish act, And all of a sudden, conflict is inserted into the relationship. It takes verses, sometimes hours, sometimes days, sometimes weeks to reconcile and to make it right. And also, when you look at the Song of Solomon, it gives us an interesting picture. There are eight chapters in the book of Song of Solomon. When you look at eight chapters in the book of Song of Solomon and you count that two of them, chapter 5 and chapter 6, are all dedicated to conflict and conflict resolution, that is 20% of the Song of Solomon is dedicated to conflict resolution. So if you think that marriage is going to be short of conflict, about 20% of a good marriage is going to be in conflict and conflict resolution if if those proportions are, are accurate. And so think about it like that. This is the reality. The resolution, the reconciliation takes a lot longer and it's a lot more difficult in its work. So let's break down the conflict, first of all. Because in this conflict, you're going to see so many things. You're going to see passive aggressiveness. You're going to see men's entitlement. You're going to see the woman's selfishness. You're going to see the man's selfishness. You're going to see the man take flight, and he's going to run away. You're going to see all of that in a matter of five verses. And so let's jump into it. First of all, in verse 2 to verse 6 is where we're going to see this. And the first thing we see is man's entitlement. And you see... In verse 2, she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. All right, so that tells you she's not sleeping. She's tossing and turning in the bed. She's asleep. She's awake. She's awake. She's asleep. She's having dreams. She's wondering where her man is. He's not there. A sound. My beloved is knocking. And now he begins to speak. And he begins to put on his very best uh, I guess, romance. And he starts drawing from the words that worked last time. Now, guys, if you use the same words that you've been using for 20 years, the combination's changed. And you're going to have to learn a new combination just about every day if you haven't figured that out. But he's going to play the same words to try to get her in, in, in the mood, if you will. He says, oh, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. We know where he's going all right, or where he's wanting to go anyway. For my head is wet with dew. 
Now that's an interesting statement. I had to literally dive into the Hebrew to understand that this is a Hebrew parallelism here that's going on in this passage. And it's actually referring to an idea that when somebody's hair was wet and their dew was wet on their hair, it meant that they'd been out a long time into the night. And now they're coming home. She's asleep or trying to sleep. She can't sleep. The man comes home, knocks on the door, wants to come in and rumble in the jungle. And it's just, what's going to happen here? We don't know. But he's doing his very best to, to woo her in. His hair's been wet. What's he been doing? Where's he at? That's why she's turning in the bed. Where's he at? Is he out playing fantasy football with his buds again? Is he upstairs playing video games with his virtual friends when I'm his real wife laying here in bed? Is he, is, is he, is a poker night again this week? Is it, is it happy hour that turned to happy hours? I don't know what it is, but he's gone. Now that's all my 21st century, uh, uh, speculating in the, into, into that. But he calls her out. He says, I want to come in. I want to be with you. I want to, I want to be together in this beautiful thing. All right. Well, now here's her response. She has a spirit of revenge. So, and again, I might be punching some buttons here today uh, that you can be mad at me, be mad at Lori, be mad at anybody, be mad at your spouse. Be mad, give the spirit of, uh, hey, she has the right to do this. Well, he has the right to demand this. We can go into rights all day long or we can go into humility mode, okay? And so I think we need to think about humility. So here's what happens. So she gets revenge mode. She said, I had put off my garments. This is her response back to him. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. Now, this idea of bathing your feet is a, a double entendre that actually is a euphemism for her erotic zones. Okay, She said, I have bathed my feet. You fill in the blank. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch. My heart was thrilled within me. So now we're having this emotional play here going on. I'm, he's wanting to come in. He's smooth talking her. He's been out late at night. She's ready to go to sleep. He's ready to rumble in the jungle. You see this going on playing out. I know this has never happened in your marriage. So this is all hypothetical, right? Yeah. So, all of a sudden, there's this tension in the air. He puts his hand to the latch. Now, we don't know if this is, again, a euphemism, for he reached over and touched her, or if this is actually they had different bedroom chambers and that she's locked her door, saying, you're not getting in tonight. And he's put his hand to the latch. He's got myrrh, oh, by the way. Uh, myrrh was a, the cologne for men. There'll be, a, there'll be a perfume for women myrrh here in a moment. But he's put his little cologne on. He's smelling good and spicy. And he's wanting to come in and, and, and to make beautiful sheet music. And then verse 5. I arose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh. So now her hands dripping with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh. So she's now had a change of heart. So she goes to open the door and to welcome her husband in. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. It's like ships passing in the night sometimes. It's like I'm on one sheet of music and she's on another sheet of music. 
It's like I have one agenda, but she has another agenda. And it's again, what did I say last week? Sexuality is this beautiful piece of music that is written and composed by two individuals that are extremely diverse. And they're coming together and they're writing this music. That's the complexity of this love making, we call it. This, this sheet music, as it is, is called. And here's this conflict that happens. And again, I said this last week, that most conflicts will manifest themselves in the bedroom. Whether it is the insensitive husband who doesn't come home, or it's the, he's playing all of his, all, with all of his buddies out there, but he's not playing with his wife in here. Or it's the wife who's playing hard to get because here's the, here's the thing is, 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 is sex is a great, is a great gift, but it is a horrible weapon. And when we use it for that, then it is now being misused. So how do they resolve this? And so what I want to give you in kind of rapid fire today, some things that maybe will help us move towards reconciliation. Because reconciliation is what you're aiming for. It's not to just let the temperatures go down. It's, it's, it's not to just get over it. It's not to get your way. Or it's not for her to get her way and you give in to her way or you give in to his way. It's not, uh, it's not that reconciliation is when you both enter into the conversation, you both enter into the problem, and you both work for a solution. But it takes tremendous amounts of humility and getting off of our stand and off of our position and off of our rights and entering humbly into the relationship. And that doesn't happen very easily with a pride-centered person. But what did I say about marriage? It is there to sanctify us, not just to make us happy about life. Number one is that reconciliation is pursued reconciliation is not something that conflict will never resolve itself. Put it down, write it down. If you've got notes in your Bible, you got the little journal Bible, conflict will never resolve itself. Circle it, bold it. It will not resolve itself. Yeah, 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 Mike. I don't, you don't have to talk about everything. I guarantee you, you may not have to talk about everything, but you will not resolve it in silence. You will have to deal with the issue. Otherwise, the issue will continue to come back again and again. It may go away quiet. It may go underground. But when it goes underground, it moves into another warp. It moves into what's called resentment, which is buried anger. When resentment turns into, it manifests itself, it will turn into bitterness. Bitterness will then flood into the streams of our life and we will become bitter, resentful, and at the very top, angry because we never went back and we resolved. We never got resolution. See, there are runners and there are confronters and some people like their role. The runners just run and just, just give in. Then there are the confronters who have never seen an issue that they would like to argue about. And I'll let you classify yourself. They've always got to get the last word. They've always got to be right. Those are the confronters. Somewhere in the middle needs to be where we exist. The confronting, confrontation is actually a good thing. Confrontation comes from the, a Latin word, con, meaning with or together, front, meaning forehead, interestingly. So basically, it's putting two foreheads together and having a conversation. 
It's coming together face to face. Instead of taking the conflict outside and sharing it with everyone else, instead of going behind the back and manipulating things, instead of whispering under your breath, instead of being passive aggressive on all, all that can come with that, it's actually sitting down face to face and having a conversation together. It's the biblical model. When somebody has something against me, then what does Matthew chapter 5 verse 23 tell me? It tells me that I need to go to that someone when they're, when they have something against me. If I've offended somebody, Matthew 18 verse 15, it tells me that I need to go to that someone who offends me. Now notice this, that I offend someone, I go to that someone. If someone's offended me, I go to that someone. Listen, sometimes that someone doesn't know that they've offended you. And call it, I'll blame it on the guys, our heads in the clouds, our heads in the sand, our heads somewhere else. And we can offend and and move right on and not even know it, or at least this dude can. And sometimes you've got to go to that person and say, that hurt. But that's the biblical model. But here I want to say this one, this is another one. Proverbs tells us that not everything is worth being offended over. All right, let's all read this one out loud together. This is a good one. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is the glory to overlook an offense. So sometimes I just need to chill out. And sometimes I need to go and be the person who brings reconciliation. I've offended or I have been offended. We need to be about that and not letting it be swept under the rug. The next step toward peace may be your step. Your step. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. See, peacemaking is being willing to have the face-to-face confrontation with someone about the issue. Peacekeeping is the person who simply wants to sweep it under the rug and not deal with the issue. Be a peacemaker. That's a child of God, not a peacekeeper. That is a false, fake, not real kind of peace. Now, if you'll notice in chapter uh, in chapter 5, verse 6, what she does is she gets up, she unlocks the door, the guy has gone, and my soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, and he gave no answer. The watchman found me. Now, this is what gets sad in the story. It's very sad. Is the watchman, so she's out in the night looking for her husband. That's how much she's pursuing reconciliation. She goes out looking for him, can't find him, and she is abused in the streets. She is beaten in the streets, bruised in the streets, took away my veil, those watchmen on the walls. Now that's a sad little storyline there. And again, was it a true narrative story that that happened? Was it a poetic element there just to emphasize something? I'm going to at least leave it in the poetic to say this. Notice at what links, at what distance... At at what urgency, at what passion the woman had to pursue reconciliation. See, when you pursue reconciliation, it's not the same thing as being passive about reconciliation. When you're pursuing it, you're looking for it, you're going for it, you're stepping out. You're putting yourself in a vulnerable situation. That person may not accept you. That person may spit in your face. That person may continue to insult you. When you pursue, realize you are stepping out into vulnerability. 
And that's hard. Alright? But that's what it means to pursue reconciliation. See, there basically anytime there's a conflict, there's three views. There's your view, there's their view, and then there's the right view. And it's somewhere typically in the middle. Number two is reconciliation requires resolution. Reconciliation requires resolution. Now, when she got out in the streets and she could not find her husband, what does she do? She turn around and go back. No, she finds her friend. She finds her bridesmaid. She finds the the old the 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 women of Jerusalem. She the daughters of Jerusalem. She goes to them and she starts saying, "Hey, help me find my husband. I'm looking for him." What is your beloved more than another beloved? This is what they say to her. Hey, why are you going after this dude? He comes in late at night after playing video games. Why don't you just leave him? I can get you a better man. Why is this beloved better than any other beloved? Now, let me just say this to you. Just point blank truth. Listen to this. Sometimes your worst advice may come from your best friends. Telling you what you want to hear. Telling you what you are desiring to hear. Why don't you go find somebody else? Why is this beloved any better than anybody else? But notice her resolution to get at peace. In fact, I'm not going to take time to read it all because in verse 8 all the way through verse 16, you're going to find where she is going to literally put it out there and tell them in a chiastic poem. Now, a chiastic poem is a form of a Hebrew type of poem that basically builds statements opposite each other, okay? And you're going to see that he's going to start with the daughters of Jerusalem. And you're going to see that he's going in, in, in verse 8 and then verse 16. And then he's going to go to talk about beloved. And he's going to talk about beloved in verse 16. And you're just going to see it distinguished in choice. You're going to see it kind of building. It's going to a climactic point here to his head is the finest gold, his feet is gold, and his arms are gold. Now, this chiastic form of poetry is actually the entire book of Lamentations. If you read Lamentations, you'll find where he talks about uh, how horrible life is. And then he says, but it's the mercies of God that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's the most memorized verse in all of Lamentations because the entire book of Lamentations leads up to that one verse. So what he's doing, what she is doing here, she's writing this poetry and she's writing it in a way that everything that she says is building up to this one point. He is gold to me. Now, I think it says more than that. I think it says that he works out at Gold's Gym. When you look at it, he's got buys, tries, because he says his arms are rods of gold. And also, any good friend will not let your friend skip leg day. And so it says this, that his legs were alabaster columns on feet of gold. So basically, notice this, from his head to his arms to his feet, every point in between, she was sold on. This man is worth everything. He is of finest gold. I can't find a better man than this. Now, we saw what the daughters of Jerusalem said. What other man out there? I'll get you a man. There's other people out there to love. Notice what the daughters of Jerusalem said in chapter 6, verse 1, after she finishes her poem. Where has your beloved gone? Oh, most beautiful among women. Where is your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? 
So all of a sudden, they could find another man for her, but they couldn't find anybody like gold. See, let me say this to you who are ready to cash in the chips on the relationship. I I don't know your circumstance. But you don't know. That person who was beautiful and awesome maybe just tarnished a little bit. And maybe the relationship isn't what it used to be. But just cashing in and moving on will not be the answer to life's problems. You might need to take a step back and take another evaluation of the man or the woman in your life before you just cash him in. Number three, reconciliation must be reciprocal. Now hear that. Reconciliation is not a one-way street. It happens when both people are fully present, fully engaged, fully committed to the relationship. And if any point in a relationship that one becomes less invested than the other, then it becomes an out-of-balance relationship. If at any point in the relationship, if one says, okay, it's, it's all your fault and you need to fix you and then I will come back to you, that, that is an unhealthy response. It is not the response at all what Solomon gave. So the woman has been the only one speaking up until now. Now the man begins to speak. Notice in verse 4, just above verse 4, if you have the journal Bible, it says he. Circle the word he now he begins to speak about his wife where did he go i don't know where he went did he go out in the gardens did he he go take a cold shower i don't know where he went but he had enough time in his going out and thinking about his wife because i'm kind of the cool off kind of guy i kind of blow up and then i cool off and then i think better all right if i have to have that 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 conversation right now in the heat of the moment it may not end well okay it probably won't Lori and i've realized that about it give me some space let me cool down let me reflect let me get some thoughts about me then let's have this conversation so he steps away cools down comes back together and now what he says to her he uses new lines he's reflected on her he's now got better lines than the old lines that he's been using with her and he now woos her in now here's what we have to understand about uh that about reciprocity in a reciprocal relationship it is one person takes that first step but right next needs to be that other person making a step as well. If one person is doing all the walking in the tension, it will not balance itself. But you don't realize the offense. I get it. It's not evening the score. If you're playing evening the score, there will always be a winner and a loser. There will always be one that's ahead and one who owes. Unless you learn grace and forgiveness in this. Verse 4. Notice what, what he says. You are beautiful as Terzah, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as the army of the banners. Now he's going to now go through chapter 6 and he's going to state what he values about her. He says, you are as beautiful as Terza. I had to look up Terza. I'd never heard of Terza before. Terza was located about six miles north of Shechem. Do you know where Shechem is? I had to look up Shechem as well. So you have to look up these places and they actually have not fully, don't fully understand or know 100% where this place is, but where they think it is, is located in a beautiful mountainous region. So whenever he says you are beautiful as Terza, you are as beautiful as the mountains. 
Here is beautiful. In fact, the word terzik comes from a shared word of friend. So maybe he was actually using that word as a word to play on, that we're like friends. I love you as a beautiful friend. Now here's the thing about friendships and lovers. Friends make the best lovers. Lovers aren't always good friends. If you start with sex and think you're going to make it to marriage and you're going to make it to love, you are banking on an ill-informed, broken system. It starts with friendship and it moves into love and it moves into marriage and then it goes to sexuality. Verse 16 of chapter 5, he said it like this. He said, you are my beloved and you are my friend. You are my beloved and you are my friend. The best lovers are first friends. I can honestly say this for 10 years of our marriage, Lori and I were not best friends. Oh, we were friends and we loved each other. I, I, I paint a picture sometimes that we fought all the time. We didn't. We, when we did, we know how to fight though. But here's what happens at 10 years for us. And it may not be 10 years for you. You may never get there. I pray you will. And it will only happen because of intentionality. Is we became best friends. And I can't imagine another person I want to spend the rest of my life with. When I have free time, I don't want to go be with the dudes. I want to go be with my wife, my bride. So, again, that friendship has got to be there. Number four, lovely as Jerusalem. Why did he call her cities? Now he's referring to cities. He used to call them doves and goats. Now he's referring to cities. Well, it's interesting that he's doing this. And and, and at the same time, Jerusalem was considered the most beautiful city. David, his daddy wrote, O Zion, the the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. 29 years in ministry, nearly 30, and I have seen people come into my office And one person, I can tell when they're not reciprocating reconciliation. I can tell within 30 minutes. Oh, it doesn't take long. You can smell it. Whenever they're not on the same page and one is extending themselves for reconciliation, the other one's holding back. I have seen divorces happen over lesser, menial, menial things whenever they're both not committed to reconciliation. And I have seen serial affairs be reconciled when both come together. So it is not one offense is the the breaker of offenses. It is both people being in it to win it for each other. Number four, reconciliation reassures and reinforces the security in the relationship. I don't have time to develop this like I want to. I want us to go down to verse 8 and 9. And you look at verse 8 and 9, notice his absolute commitment to his bride. He said, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, 
pure to her who bore her. The young woman saw her and called her blessed. And the queens and the concubines also have praised her. The women around, David, or excuse me, Solomon said, there's a lot of ladies out there. I'm the king of Israel. There could be 60, there could be 80. But what does he say to her? That, 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 that gives security, that reassurance to the marriage. I love it. I highlighted it in the PowerPoint. Notice what it says there. You're the perfect one. You're the only one. You're the only one. There's no one else that I want to be with that I want to be with you. Reconciliation is incredibly hard and difficult work. You know why? It's not because you can't solve a problem. There's not a problem in your marriage that other marriages haven't had, that other, other marriages haven't come up with solutions. The problem that keeps marriages from reconciling is sin. Pride, arrogance, entitlement, selfishness, rights over responsibilities. And when we stand our ground and we're unwilling then there will not be reconciliation. I don't care how small the offense, but there can be reconciliation no matter how large the offense when there is that humility there. I thought of this verse this week and I want us to read it out loud as I close today. John 10, 10. I've altered it a little bit. The th- read it with me. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy my marriage. Stop right there. The thief, Satan, he's coming for one thing. He's coming for one thing. He doesn't care how he gets it. He'll steal it. He'll kill it. He'll destroy it. He doesn't care as long as he can have it. And if you can do it with him and help destroy it, that's fine. But... Jesus said, I came that your marriage may be full, may have life, and may have it abundantly. Let's read it all together out loud. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy my marriage. I came that your marriage may have life and have it abundantly. Would you bow your heads with me? When the topic of reconciliation, forgiveness, pride comes into play, all the emotions will flood in. And the reasons why you can't right now, if there's conflict between you, reach out and touch and hold the person next to you. Everything of the emotions is telling you, no, don't do it. You've got rights. They'll think that you're only doing it because he said to do it. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. But Jesus Christ came to give your marriage, your life, life, and to give it abundantly. I challenge you today.
First of all, do you have life in Jesus? If you don't, start there, start there, start there. Don't let Satan steal, kill, and destroy your life any longer. Just say, Jesus, I want to be a follower of yours. I want the abundant life. I want your forgiveness. I want to know grace. I want to know you. I want to know. I want to be free from the guilt, the shame, the brokenness that I have brought on myself. I want life in you, Jesus. Putting in your own words. Then pray for your marriage. Don't pray for your marriage. First, pray for your own soul. Get that right. I'm going to pray and our prayer partners will be in the room and they'll be around. In fact, I encourage them to go ahead and just get in spots. People around, deacons, deacon spouses, uh, uh, pastors, pastor spouses, we'll just be hanging out. We're here to pray with you. They'll be up on the landing. They'll be at the front. We're here to pray with you and for you in these moments. Father God, would you do the beautiful and powerful work of reconciliation. First of all, Lord, help us to be reconciled to you. And then, Father, where there's brokenness and there are relationships that are fractured and not whole and not complete, I would pray that in this hour and this time, you would help us to humbly, humbly find healing And Lord, even would you cause the storm of our life and of our marriages to cease. You are the storm tamer. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together with us?